the history of humanity from the earliest records and archaeological discoveries includes mankind's longing search for immortality. From the ancient Egyptians who mummified bodies, believing that in doing so, the soul would return to the body upon burial and they would wake to enjoy food and beer and treasure in immortality. To the legendary quest for the fountain of youth of Ponce de Leon fame. And yes, you can visit Ponce de Leon's Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park in St. Augustine, Florida, though from what I was reading last week, Ponce de Leon would have been unaware that he was searching for the Fountain of Youth, but he did, in fact, discover Florida. Ironically, I would suggest that Florida is not known to us as the land of perpetual youth. Uh, (laughs) Quite the opposite, as older folks throughout the years have flocked to the Sunshine State to escape the harsh winters of the Northeast. It is a land populated by snowbirds and retired folk. Or maybe a scientific solution would be more to your liking. If so, you can join the cause of the Coalition for Radical Life Extension, whose website includes these hopeful words. We have different views on what radical life extension is and even what to call it. People Unlimited calls it physical immortality. Pioneer telomere researcher Dr. Bill Andrews calls it curing aging. Transhumanist Max Moore prefers super longevity. But what we all agree on is that the deathist paradigm has to go. It's time to look beyond the past of dying to a future of unlimited living. Website includes... Slogans like this, start living your eternity now. You can help by donating money. And you can equip yourself by paying to attend their conference, which includes such topics as brain longevity, ageless mindset, and yes, if you're concerned for all the fur babies, pet longevity. And yet, the last I checked, and I did check last week, life expectancy has been extended over the last 100 years in the West and indeed throughout the world, but the current life expectancy in our country is around 80 years old. And so, an ancient text written thousands of years ago given to us in Scripture is still surprisingly relevant. Psalm 90, verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Isn't that interesting? Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Certainly, a long life is a gift. and We wholeheartedly affirm the worth and dignity of the aging. And we are grateful for advancements in health and medicine that provide a few more precious years with those whom we love. But in our text this morning, the preacher, the author of this book, the one who has been addressing us throughout this book, cuts through the thick haze of false conceptions about our mortality as he looks us straight in the eyes and slowly, deliberately reminds us that all of us are going to die. All of us are facing the devastations of aging, wasting away, and ultimately the end of our lives. 
just as true thousands of years ago when this book was written as it is at this moment. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remembering that this is the inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word of God. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way and the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered or at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. If you've been following along in Ecclesiastes, some of this probably sounds familiar to you because one more time, as he begins to conclude this book, the preacher talks to us about death. Not so that we walk around terrified and introspective and obsessed with death, but so that we live realistically, soberly, making the most of our short lives. And here he also begins to point us toward hope beyond this life. All right, I have two, two points in this sermon. Here's the first one. The inevitability of aging, decay, and death. If you were here last week, then you recall we saw last week in chapter 11 that the preacher has wisdom for us as we live in an uncertain world in our lives under the sun. In chapter 11, verse 9, he exhorted the young to take joy in the days of their youth, to enjoy life, to pursue God-given passions and talents and gifts. I would suggest Ecclesiastes may be the only place in Scripture that seems to imply that God approves of bucket lists. Make the most of this short life. Take joy in your life. Take joy in the many gifts that you are surrounded by. He says, do that, but do so in knowing that God will bring you into judgment in the end. So that is sobering. He reminds us that in the enjoyment of our lives given to us by God, he is watchful and that we will all day, one day give an account. And in this context of chapter 11, there is a specific application, maybe surprisingly, that God will judge us if we fail to enjoy the life we've been given. David Gibson, in his, I think, essential book, Living Life Backward, if you want a book to 
deepen your understanding of Ecclesiastes. Let me commend, I've been commending that book. Let me commend it to you. It's very accessible and it will enrich your soul. David Gibson says, pleasure is a divine decree that we ignore at our peril. For it is precisely in enjoying the world God has made that we show we have grasped the goodness of the God we say we love. Failure to enjoy is an offense, not merely an oversight. Now, the preacher is not exhorting us to hedonism, to sinful self indulgence, but he is calling us to take joy in the gifts given to us by God as a means to glorify God and express our gratefulness to God for all of the good things he has poured into our lives, even down to the most simple pleasures, food and drink and laughter and friendship and so forth. Our text. As he was doing in chapter 11, he continues to address the young. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then throughout the rest of the text, he proceeds to remind us that if we don't die young, and some will, and some do, what we will all face is the inevitable decline and eventual collapse of our bodies and our minds, and then death comes for us all. He does this through poetic language and imagery. Verse 2, he sees this through the lens of the collapse of the natural order. The sun and the moon and the stars grow dark. Science has understood that the universe itself is given to entropy, a slow, gradual decline into disorder. Eventually, the sun will become what's called a red giant that will torch the face of the earth. They predict that's seven billion years from now, so don't get too scared about it. Verses three through five, he pictures the collapse of civilization. The housekeepers shake in the face of impending doom. The strong men are bent over in weakness. The grinders at their place grinding the wheat for daily bread are so weak and feeble they can barely turn the wheel. So he pictures here the reality that as we age, there is a loss of skill and strength and productivity. Verses 4 and 5, there is fear and terror. The songs go out. He pictures the almond tree blossoming. The almond tree was covered in white flowers. And so here is the white hair of the elderly. The senses are deadened. We end up walking herky-jerky like a grasshopper, he says. It is what a character you may not be familiar with, Barzillai, in 2 Samuel says to King David, I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? This is what's pictured here. The breakdown of all that is useful and productive. The silver cord snaps. The golden bowl is broken. The water pitcher shatters. The grinding wheel cracks in half. He's laying upon us the weight of 
the inevitable breakdown of our bodies and minds throughout our lives as we age. And in doing so, he's inviting us to think realistically about our future and our end. Verse 7, he says, we die and return to the dust. And the spirit of life returns to God. And here, the preacher certainly has the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. When God pronounced judgment for Adam's sin in Genesis 3. And God to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. And verse 8, vanity of vanities, he says. All this is vanity. In other words, All of this has to do with our lives being brief and enigmatic and quickly passing away. That is reality. Terry Pratchett, author Terry Pratchett once wrote, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. (laughs) If you're getting older like me, you are well aware. I remember... Back in my teen years and into my 20s, I was a roller coaster fanatic. Just point me to the biggest and baddest coaster, and I'm going to try to get on it as many times as I can that day. But in my early 30s, I remember going to Hershey Park and riding a roller coaster, and oh, I sort of felt uncomfortable. And then I went on another one, and I felt sick. And I went on another one, and I got like a migraine headache. And all of a sudden, I can't go on roller coasters anymore. I read that there are hairs in your inner ear that as you age, they begin to fall out and your sense of equilibrium gets messed up. Just in so many ways, we are wasting away. Lately, I've been waking up with unexplained aches and pains in my knees when I go down the steps to get coffee. No reason. Wasn't active the day before. It's just there. Welcome to 44. And we are often surprised in all of this because our lives are busy and we are often distracted. I think all of us know the experience of seeing a picture of ourselves from the past or a glimpse in the mirror and and thinking, what happened? Facebook memories is good for this. You know, this is a memory from 11 years ago and you look at it and, oh, what what have I become? It's a... And even if we extend our lives into old age, 80s and 90s, we all know that this world is full of elder care homes and assisted living facilities full of men and women. Some of them, they would just describe their lives as simply existing. It was that way for my, my grandma, whom I love, my nanny, in her early 90s. She was so exhausted. And she would repeatedly say, I just want to go to heaven. So once again, in Ecclesiastes, and this time with slow and deliberate care, the preacher reminds us of our mortality because 
He wants us to look our mortality square in the face with unflinching clarity, to not avoid the truth of our mortality or wish it away. Note, he especially addresses the young. So let me address you, teenager. Listen, I get it. You're 15 and you know a thing or two. I remember being 15. I was such a mess. And you may not say it out loud, but you're kind of invincible, right? I mean, life is going to be really long. Well, maybe. I hope so. But let me tell you, reporting back from middle age, it's over before you know it. And you find yourself like me describing being 15 as 26 years ago. 29 years ago. So what the preacher is doing here is he is interrupting our busy, distracted lives to press us to deal with reality. Each day we grow older and unless we die in our youth, which is a possibility, if we do the best we can, we will all decay and return to the dust from whence we came. Okay. So what do we do with all this? Second point. What's the right way to handle this reality? We've been armed then with a sobering, realistic, clear-headed perspective. But also, let's look again at the text. We find the preacher pointing us towards something greater. Verse 1. He says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's the exhortation. And youth here is indeed somewhat relative. We may all apply this to any who have not grown old and died yet. He's calling us in all of this to a God-centered perspective in our lives. David Gibson again commenting on this verse says, Remembering your creator means remembering that God made a good world, not an evil one. And that we are the ones responsible for spoiling it, not he. Remembering God as creator means taking my place in the world in the appropriate way and not demanding for myself more than it is my right to have. This simple concept of remembering your creator is a central piece in scripture. If you read through the Old Testament, you will read Time and time again, judgment and woe being pronounced on the people of God because why? They forgot their God. And it is central to the actual problem we have, born in Adam and in sin, in fact, born dead in our sin. That's described in Romans 18 through 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Later Paul will say, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so the preacher says, you must not forget your creator. 
Craig Bartholomew commenting on this verse says, remembrance is far more than mere mental assent. It represents the radical difference between a worldview in which humankind is central and autonomous and one in which God is central. So keep God at the center of your existence in this brief life we live. He says more. Remember, verse 5, he says, see it? Man is going to his eternal home. Remember that. Verse 7, look at that. Upon our death, our spirit returns to God. And so in all of this, he's calling us to live under the submission to God we were created to live in, the creator who has given us life, and the one to whom we will return. And so here is a place where the preacher, as he doesn't often do in this book, he thinks beyond the wisdom he has gleaned simply from the observable world to life beyond this life. Now, he suggested that in chapter 11, verse 9, when he says God will bring you into judgment for the life you've lived, which means he understands that there is a reality beyond this life because when we die, that's not all there is. There is a judgment. There is reality beyond, beyond this life under the sun. But listen, in all of this, we, we should not read too much into what the preacher is describing because understand this, his understanding of what this all means was limited and incomplete at this point in redemptive history. He's simply sharing the mystery of it all. But thanks be to God that we now know what the very wise preacher did not yet know at this point in redemptive history. Oh, he, he knows now. But we understand that while we need the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, I hope you have been enjoying this book. It has cheered my heart to hear many of you communicate specific ways you've been applying Ecclesiastes and you're enjoying your food more and maybe thinking about a job change and all that kind of stuff. Ecclesiastes by itself, apart from scripture, is insufficient to help us understand what to do with all of this living and aging and dying. We need all of God's revelation to deal with the mystery and enigma of death and what lies beyond this life. The preacher understands, and it is true, there are these realities of death and then judgment by God, but we know as well that even more dire than the physical death we all face is the fact that we are all born in sin, dead in our sins, and so in all of this, we need some good news. We need to know the glorious realities that angels long to know in the preacher's day. We need to know this. Craig Bartholomew comments, it will take Jesus conquering of death in his resurrection and ascension to resolve the mystery of death that the preacher pursues so relentlessly. What we need is Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You who were dead, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The preacher is helping us remember to understand that we all live under the shadow and reality of death, but we know, thanks be to God, that the Son of God came to live the life we should have lived in our lives under the sun, dying the death we all deserve for our sin, suffering as our substitute, raised from the dead, conquering death, disarming the power of death, triumphing over death. And for all who receive him with the empty hands of faith, all who put their trust in him, we share in his victory and we are promised nothing less than eternal life in That's some good news. And so, as we make our way through what he describes in verse 1 and has described throughout Ecclesiastes, evil days. We all face evil days. So many of us know what it's like to experience the sufferings of this world the ravages of age, the disease, the wasting away. But for us, we know that this brief life, while it will be over soon, and while there are evil days, there is a glory that is coming that is not to be compared with the ravages and suffering of this world. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. You feel like you're losing heart. You don't have to lose heart. Jesus does not want you to lose heart. Here's why. Though our outer self is wasting away, amen, says the preacher, our inner self is being renewed day by day For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so the hymn writer says, Jesus lives and death is now, but my entrance into glory Courage then, my soul, for thou hast a crown of life before thee. Our future in Christ is clear. The sobering and weighty realities of Ecclesiastes 12 are given to us so that we deal with our lives realistically. But for those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, we need not fear that end. We need not fear the judgment for our sin, for it was placed on Christ. We need not think to ourselves that this life is all there is with its suffering, and then it will end in misery. Our future in Christ is clear. Finally, the preacher intends that this text, as he has intended it throughout his book, when he talks about our lives in light of death that is coming, Throughout this book, he exhorts us to make the most of life. When he presses down on us the brevity of life with its suffering, his intent is to wake us up to the limited time 
that we have and make the most of that time for the glory of God. And so James Russell Miller once wrote, how can we so live that our old age when it comes shall be beautiful and happy? It will not do to adjourn this question until the evening shadows are upon us. It will be too late to consider it. Consciously or unconsciously, we are every day helping to settle the question whether our old age shall be sweet and peaceful or bitter and wretched. Have you known elderly saints who live in sweetness and peace, though suffering? I have known. And I have known those in their old age, bitter and wretched. Each day, we have the opportunity to decide, to settle the question, what will our lives look like? On the way back from a conference I went to the past few days, wonderful, called Life Together, where we gathered with 20 people from 20 churches at Sovereign Grace Church in Glen Mills, and we sang together, and we were exhorted from the Word of God together. On the way back, I was traveling through Lebanon. If you're aware, Lebanon County is full of farms. We're driving and came upon this silo. Maybe you've seen it before. It's a big silo, beautiful little farm, blue silo. You know, a symbol of hard work, of reaping having sown. On the side of it, it says this, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Hebrews 13, 14. I think that reflects Ecclesiastes. There has been sowing and reaping. There is hard work. There is advancement. There is industry going on on that farm. But the banner over it all, this is not our lasting city. There is a city that is coming. That is where our hope is in our lives under the sun. Let me close with this. Each day brings us one day closer to death. It's just the truth. We are all heading toward eternity. But for us who are in Christ, that is not a terror, but a joy. For in our death, we will awake in the presence of Christ. And listen, we will find out that the living is just getting started. C.S. Lewis, I've used this before, I can't help myself. It's so good. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Last Battle, that I'm currently reading to my seven-year-old son who's turning eight tomorrow. Say happy birthday if you see him. The children discovered that they have died in a train accident. But then they discover that a whole new world in Narnia has opened to them. And it concludes in this way, speaking of Aslan, who is a type of Christ. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. 
And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's ours in Christ. So we make our way through this life under the sun. We make our way into chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, no eye has seen or can understand even the tiniest portion of what is coming for us, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen.